Have you ever wondered why some young people choose to end their lives? Ever wondered who they are and who they left behind? Have you ever wanted to hear their stories? Would you like answers to these questions and many more? Welcome to Suicide Pages with Dr. Lulu. Her mission is to shine light on these young people, create awareness for, and educate the world on youth suicide. Opinions expressed in this podcast are those of Dr. Lulu and her guests. They are not a substitute for professional advice. If you are experiencing suicidal thoughts, call 1-800-273-TALK or send a text to www.crisistextline.org. Now, here's Dr. Lulu. to Suicide Pages with Dr. Lulu, the podcast. How is everybody doing? Let me tell you, with this podcast, when I decided to do this podcast, I never knew the effect it was going to have on me, honestly. And just the fact that so many lives will be touched and, and indeed so many lives have been touched. People tag me all over the place. And this morning, as a matter of fact, I had a little girl who was actively suicidal in Nigeria that I got called to talk her down. Yes, yes. And I know I didn't tell you this, but um, yes, I had to talk for about 56 minutes. We were on this girl. Never met her before. Don't know anything about her. But I'm happy to say we were able to talk her down. And um, I think we succeeded to get one more day out of her. So for that, I am thankful to all of you who've been listening, who've been tagging me, who've been spreading the word, who have subscribed, who have been touched by the stories that... Um, we're out to share because that was the whole idea for me was just to share the story. So today we have another story, this beautiful soul. And I met by accident on Facebook and she was willing to listen and be part of this, this journey and this fight. She is none other than Megan Roberts, who also happens to be a mom and a nurse. That's my first nurse. So thank you so much, Megan, for agreeing to write on our pages today. Megan happened to have lost a very dear and near family member, a brother, to suicide recently. So without further ado, I'm going to let Megan tell us her story in her own words. Megan, thank you so much for coming to hang out with us this afternoon and share your story with us. I do not take it lightly at all that you agreed to do this. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me. And thank you for all the work you're doing to bring awareness to this. Um, it's just, it's such a taboo subject still, which is so crazy to me that um, the, the amount of children and, and elderly people that we are losing to suicide. And, you know. and we're treating it like, oh, we don't really know. Well, no, somebody has to know. Some, there somebody has, has to know, and somebody has to start talking about it, right? And then, yeah. you know, it's like, it's like diabetes. If you had diabetes, wouldn't yeah. you want to know as much about diabetes as there is to know, or asthma, or allergies? But when it comes to depression and suicide, it's like, oh, I'm going to be by myself. I'm not going to say anything. I don't want, unfortunately, the shame and the stigma, which is out there, you know? 
and it's just so wild because like you like you said when you compare it to something like diabetes there's no shame in saying I can't go out to dinner with you tonight my 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 sugar has been too high I don't have enough insulin to cover going out to eat that's okay but if you say or or, I don't want to eat that particular thing on the menu because my sugar you know but if you if you say I don't feel like going out tonight because I'm just kind of in a dark place the feelings that that triggers in me makes me isolate you and that's where the discrepancy is where if it was a diabetic friend they'd be like let's pick something else or yes let's hang out you know when you feel better but when when they say something that makes me feel uncomfortable because i can't help them then you're just like oh okay well when you stop being sad give me a shout exactly i don't want to be part of that but you know i hope the listeners can tell right away that this is going to be a very good episode because megan is a nurse and so that diabetes example i didn't think about it when i said it but that landed because she's a, you know you know what to say you know exactly what i mean and so yes this is going to be i'm already having goosebumps this is going to be a, a hopefully a good episode for the listeners and when i say good and when i say fun and i use certain words, it's not because I want to belittle suicide at all, but because I believe in my heart that sometimes the best way to to eat a huge, big, bitter grape is to take a bite already and just and just get used to the taste. And then maybe you might even finish the grape or come back and finish it next time. But you do have to take a bite. And that's what I want to do. I want to I want to put myself out there and be vulnerable. So that other people will know that, yes, even I have been suicidal and I am still here talking to you about it because there is life after that. So, Megan, thank you again for wanting to to go on this journey with me. I'm really just so honored to be a part of this because the conversation is everything. That's how that's how we fix problems. That's what medicine is designed to do. Bring the problem to us. And then over time, we figure out intelligent ways to communicate better outcomes we're an outcome driven industry so it's crazy to me that so many people are dying in this way and we're just kind of still turning a blind eye to it turning a blind eye especially when children are involved you know what especially when the extremes not not that it it doesn't hurt that much more when a middle-aged person dies by suicide or a young adult but when a child and an elderly I gave a talk recently, it was called Depression and Suicide in the Elderly, the, an inconvenient truth is what I called it, an inconvenient truth. Because you don't want to believe that grandpa is going to kill himself, but he right. can. Of course he can, yeah. And he will if we're not careful. But no one wants to talk about, you don't want to look at your grandfather with those eyes. But what about your little 10-year-old son? That's even worse. You know, it's like extremes are dying in their numbers. And the rest of the world's like, oh, that's not my son. Or, oh, there goes another one. But what if it's my son? What right. if it is my son? What if, and then is that really the only point that we can all start caring is when we're personally affected by it? By it. Exactly. We're really going to run out of people. <laughs> yes. And you know what? Medicine should really be as important when it's preventative as when it's curative. Because if I can prevent one more person from going to the ER because of an attempted suicide, then am I not doing, even the ER doctor for that day, am I not doing them some form of service? Because it does take a toll on you. When you get all these cases, after a while, it does bear heavily on you. Sure, absolutely. And I think, I mean, in nursing, we call it upstream nursing. 
So stop pulling people out of the water when their insulin is 400 or their, their uh, I'm sorry, their sugar is that we, we go upstream. We teach them how to control it, how to stay better connected to being healthy rather than just waiting for them to be drowning in the river downstream and then constantly running interventions. I love it. I got it when you said, oh, I, I, I didn't get it the first time, but when you said it, I said, yes, upstream. So let's go higher so yes. we can get to them before they come down. That is so, so true. So Megan, where do you want us to start today? I mean, the stories on Facebook that you were doing, write-ups are so touching, so emotional. You know, you just I just want to reach across and just give you a big old hug when I read the words that you write about your brother, your beloved brother. Where do you want to start? And just know that I'm a crybaby <laughs> and have been known to do a hard stop because I had one episode that I just had to stop because both of us could not stop crying. And if we have to get there today, then so be it. All okay. Right? Okay. Um, so it was actually a year yesterday that we had his funeral. Um, but we had found him the week before we found him on the 16th. He had gone missing on the 14th. He was very, he was in a really, really dark place. And I knew that, um, but he lives in Southern Florida. So as a mental health nurse, I was just dictating orders to my parents on what to do. Don't let him do this. Go get the guns out of his house. We kind of, we went through the, he's, he had been in a dark place a few years prior and he was missing at that point. And once I finally found him, I just, and I told him, go home, pack a bag, get to the airport. I'll have a ticket waiting for you. And I just flew him to Utah to try to reset him that way. Yes. And then this last time, um, I just kind of, I was burnt out wow. for the last three years. I've been running interference. I've been babysitting him from across the country. I just felt so tired and, and I don't feel guilty that, that I made this choice for him. I know he chose this, but I know that he also felt abandoned because I was so tired. It was just so much all the time. He was always drunk or needing to borrow money or, you know, and I was just like, you've got to get it together. Yes. So it had been, I hadn't spoke to him for two weeks when he went missing. And kind of my last conversation with him was very much, a, a, I took that tough love, that nursing, mm -hmm. we're going to get your shit together. Like, this is what we're doing. You, you gotta, you gotta get on a page, pull yourself up. And he just wasn't in a good. Before I, I don't want to interrupt you, but can you go back a little bit and just, were you his older sister? Was he your younger brother? Just the dynamics of the relationship in the family. If you don't he's mind my asking. My older brother. He's my, my only older brother. Okay. Older I'm the and next in line, oldest sister. Okay, and I had no idea you were a mental health nurse. So that definitely, I can, I can tell that there was a lot of pressure on you. Yes. And yet, he's your older brother. So that's almost kind of like, yeah. Right, oh, no. right. Like, I can't, I can't live your life. He's four years older than me. And it was just like, I've always looked up to you. You're the, you're the teacher here. And I'm happy to help you through a thing but he was so stuck in this thing mm. and I knew it was a bad place so when I couldn't when his ex-wife called and said he didn't pick up his kids from daycare and she was just livid and he had done that before oh I didn't have gas money that's crazy like <laughs> that's crazy <laughs> so 
when he didn't show up to pick up his kids, I knew something was wrong. Mm. And I kept trying to get my dad to go over to the house. I'm like, just go check on him. I don't know. He's not answering. At that point, he had turned off his cell phone, which, you know, as a mental health nurse, I should have taken as a red flag. That's a pretty hopeless place to be in. Wow. 29 or 2018 to not have a cell phone but I mean nobody doesn't have a cell phone yes you know what thank you for I have goosebumps I've never really thought about that the fact that when they turn off their phone it is a deliberate act yeah and it's like almost a note of finality you know what I'm done wow thank you for saying that that is very important for the listeners hopefully to hear the little signs that the subtle ones that you may not you're not going to read that in a book. And I, and it didn't hurt me when he did it. I just thought, oh my God, he's just, you know, it just all felt so depressed, depressing. I just, but looking back, it's like, no, that was him saying, I'm literally giving up. Like, I don't even have a cell phone. Yeah. He had, the last time he called me was from the Facebook mess, like the app that you can call. I said, I didn't even know Facebook had this capability. And how, what, what do you mean you don't have a phone? Wow. It was like Wendy's parking lot using their internet. I'm like, this can't be real. Who are you? You're not my big brother. Like, who are you calling me from Facebook and Wendy's parking lot? Wow. So um, I, in hindsight, I definitely wish I would have taken that more as a, that was his reaching out to me. That was him saying, this is how desperate I am. And I took it as, are you kidding me? I've been at work all day. I've got kids of my own at home. Like, what are you doing in Wendy's parking lot? And I, I, that's what I wish I could go back and redo and kind of talk to him through it differently. He wasn't ready to hear a message about this is pathetic. He knew it was pathetic. Mm. He needed me to help him figure out how to get out of it. Mm. Like what to do next. And he said, if you send me $3,000, everything will be better. And I said, I love you to pieces. I will refinance my house tomorrow and pay for you to go to rehab and pay for your bills for the 30 days you're in rehab. But I cannot keep sending you money because obviously it's not working. Like sending you money isn't fixing anything. It's just delaying the problem another two months. And then you're you're upside down again. And I have my own family and my own things that I have to be responsible for. And he just was insistent that rehab was not a thing he needed. He did not need that that the alcohol was not the issue and that, you know, he was just in a financial bind and that's what would fix it. And I said, I, I just can't keep doing this dance with you. Like mm. alcoholism is an issue. We have to address that. And he just, he was in such a dark place. He couldn't see how one simple thing like giving up drinking would have got all those other moving parts to kind of click together better. Mm. Sure. It wouldn't solve everything, but it was, the starts. denominator in all of his problems all of them led back to and you know something to do with alcohol wow. and i was just adamant with him that if we could address that we, we would be okay and he just wasn't wasn't hearing it so fast forward two weeks he doesn't pick up his kids um and my dad has you know he's a he's a drinker he's retired so by the time I'm calling him, he's like, oh, I'm already drinking. I'm not driving across town to go check on him. Like, he had gone missing before, and we were all like, he just needs to 
gather his thoughts and he'll resurface. And then the next day he didn't show up for work. So I'm literally, I'm literally across the country. <laughs> I'm almost as far away as, as humanly possible. And I'm trying to call the Broward County Sheriff's Department to do a wellness check, which I really think that's another issue we need to, we need to discuss that I get that maybe it's an abused thing to an extent, but those need to be done efficiently. And there needs to be a standard of, of protocol in order of, of what you, what are you assuring me? <laughs> I mean, because it's almost like each police department has their own protocol. Some do it, they do it differently. I didn't even know that there was such a thing as a wellness check. This is my first time hearing it. But then once you started breaking it down, I'm thinking, okay, that's what she means by that. So they go to the house and go check and, and see, is that what a wellness check is? Wow. Yes. And so um, oftentimes when they're called in as a mental health crisis, again, that elicits a feeling in the police officer. I don't want to deal with that. Yes, I can imagine. But it's totally different if I call and say my grandmother in Phoenix hasn't answered her phone and I'm terribly worried that she fell. That's okay. Like everybody wants to jump on that crisis call. But when it's a mental health one, they're like, oh, I don't know. I knocked. I can hear his dog in there. I'm like, oh, no. oh goodness. What? But <laughs> so that, um, that sparked a little outrage in me um, as far as, not that I think they didn't do what they were supposed to do, but I think it needs to be really standardized. They, they're the frontline people. They can, they can intervene and save people's lives. They have that opportunity if they can get there before the crisis occurs. Mm -hmm. um, so I think really teaching our police officers and our first responders how to be really thorough and really efficient at doing these mental health crisis calls would be an enormous service to all communities because nobody should have to wonder like was my brother really hanging there when they were knocking on the door because you know what I mean he, he had so he had hung himself yes and is that too much to go I, you know what I've had a, a, all kinds of combinations I've had people who have told me what they did no trouble. And I've had some who don't want to, but because it said hanging there, that's why I said that. I don't think it's, I mean, this is Suicide Pages. It's obviously not a podcast that is, I don't know, about teaching things. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's right. a particular kind of people that I'm, I want to hear it. People that will get the message right away because you're dropping nuggets that I've never thought about before. I've never, ever thought about the fact that the Popo do a wellness check. I'm thinking about the fact that we need to standardize how they do their wellness check. You know, I didn't even know what, what is that? Never heard the, the phrase upstream nursing before. So, and I'm a doctor. So yeah. imagine what we're teaching people because it's important. This, these are things that people need to know. I, I'm, I'm completely okay with it. You did mention a few things and I want to go back and talk about those. So it looks like your brother suffers from depression. You kind of got that, right? But I, I want to mention that a lot of people think that just because you have depression, you're going to kill yourself or the majority of people who die by suicide have depression. But here's what your brother had, which I mentioned in, in a previous episode, I think episode 10, I think, no, I don't know, episode one that talks about what is suicide. The fact that depression plus alcoholism, divorce, I'm thinking financial issues, 
family squabbles and many and even just feeling worthless feeling hopeless all of those things compounded his singular depression and that is one of the things that leads people to end up killing themselves or hurting themselves badly irreparably because they have depression plus all of that and i'm almost going to guess he probably didn't take his medication i'm just guessing um well he would abuse his anti-anxiety medication mm. like a like a true addict and and he was pretty diligent about taking i think he was on lexapro at the time mm -hmm. like they talked him into that so he had been taking that for a year but he was just not proactive about it it was such mm -hmm. a sore thing for him where mm -hmm. i wear a sign around my neck that says i take 10 milligrams of prozac every day hello that's for all y'all safety oh okay. by the way yes and, and then me too because one of the things that i talk about is i don't want people to you're already suffering from depression anxiety and whatever else mental illness.com i don't want the rest of the world to first of all shame you second of all stigmatize you third of all make up stories about you that you that because you have mental illness you're going to go kill people the truth is your brother was in such a dark place he didn't even think about that and that's why i i have a problem with the news media making it look like everyone who shoots up anywhere is mental illness automatically without even looking at the individual cases your brother suffered from mental illness but he wasn't homicidal he could barely help himself you know and there we are and then what that does what that kind of news flash does is it further stigmatizes us further creates shame and taboo about mental illness that those who have it don't want to go get help because they're like i don't want people to look at me like maybe i'm the next person going to do something bad but really you're struggling you're suffering and i, I mean you bring up a great point my son just graduated from high school in may congrats he fell into such a funk because he didn't know he couldn't take that next step to go to really commit to going to school, really commit to living on his own. And I was like, you have to go talk to somebody. You are, you're in a bad place and I can't go through this again. Like you, you, you're going to go see somebody. And he was so put out. And that's, he actually said to me, mom, every mass shooting that has ever happened, they have been on SSRIs. And I mean, he's a nurse, a, the product of a nurse. So he kind of yes. knows some stuff, but I was like, that's the most ignorant thing I've ever heard. Oh, well. Don't tolerate it. Like, correlation is not causation. Don't come okay. at me. Okay. Okay. Preach, sister. Preach. And he finally went, and he has been on, I think, Lexapro also for the last month, and he's a totally different kid, and he actually was able to say, like, this really changed my life. He's like, I didn't even think I was depressed until I, now I know I'm not. And I was like, that's why we have to lean on each other. That's why we have to be part of a community, because when we're in a dark place, it's really hard to recognize that it's dark. Yes. Oh my goodness. Because you know what? Physically speaking, your eyes get used to the darkness, but also cognitively speaking, like when you're in the darkness, you're not thinking about anything else. You're thinking everybody else is better off without you. But here's a very important point that you mentioned, because usually I end my, most of my podcasts about, it's really about parenting in the end, because I'm a pediatrician. Well, they are my main avatar. My patients are real to me and to their parents. But here's what you said. You not only agreed and admitted that you have a son who struggled post-graduation, a time when he should be happy, setting a new life. You, had, you told us that it is a struggle for some to make that next step. But what is more important is you told us how you came as a mother 
and as an advocate and said, son, listen, here's what we're going to do. But you know what? It took a lot for you as a parent to hone into his energy and want to help. That's compassion. Empathy, people talk about it. That's honing to his energy. But wanting to help makes it compassion. Listen, son, I know where you are, but I need you to do this. And that's important because guess what? It worked, right? And so you have now told my parents what I want to tell them all the time. You need to be there for your kid. You need to be number one advocate for your kid. And you need to almost do anything, whatever it takes, including tough love, to get your kid, you know, to say, okay, this is what we're going to do. And today we can look with hindsight and say, yeah, I, I, you know, I don't know what I was doing, but the point is it worked. It did. And it was, I mean, the, the, the nurse in me, when, when he really resisted medicine, I said, okay, then here's, here's the plan. Then you're going to go to the gym three times a day. You're going to be outside in the sun and you're going to try these things. And he was just physically not in a place in his head that he could do those things. And now he takes his brother to the gym and they play basketball, okay. but I was asking him to do something that he was just literally not. He needed the medicine to get him to a place. The level, yes. Okay, now I can go out and participate in life again. Exactly. But I gave him a few weeks to try without medicine. Here's here's what we'll try, and he was not capable of doing that. I said, then that, then this is what we have to do because I can't. That have is so important because I cannot tell you as many people are as a, as many people are afraid of owning up to their diagnosis. There are just as many people who get the diagnosis and don't want to go on medication for the same thing. There's a stigma. Oh my God, what are they going to say that I'm a doctor and I'm on Lexapro? I was on Prozac, I think. What are they going to say? Oh, I'm a doctor and I'm on Prozac. Oh my goodness, you know, I'm not. But have you thought about the fact that maybe the fact that you're taking Prozac is going to make you a better doctor on so many levels? Not only will you have what it takes to recognize it in another patient, and help them by sharing your story, but also you are going to be that much better as a as a physician. Period. And you and I know who is number one suicide profession in the world right now in America, at least doctors, right? And you guys are not too far behind, by the way, Miss Nurse over there. You know, yeah. but why are we doing that? Why are we dying by suicide? Because we do not want to own up to the fact that we're human. We exactly. hurt. <laughs> I, and that's that's a perfect statement. We're human. If I had diabetes, nobody would even flinch if I shot myself with insulin right right in the middle of a code. That's but right. if I say, ooh, I take Prozac, everybody's like, oh God, is she gonna snap? Exactly. Ooh, I'm, cool. I'm better because I take it. Because I, I take it. Best quote so far, I'm better because I take it. Yes. I wouldn't be efficient without it. I I have that monkey brain. There's too many, too many browser tabs opening. It, I know um, that's right. <laughs> That's great to look. That's a very good way to look at it. So it looks like, so I know another thing you mentioned also that I forgot to connect that dot is the fact that your son's uncle yes. died by suicide. So, hey, hereditary genetics, you know, he is at a high risk. And so are you, my beloved, at a high risk because you've lost such a close family member to suicide. So I know this is not necessarily about you, but how are you doing? And I, I feel like I'm doing, I'm, I'm a nurse by nature. Like I didn't pick that. It picked me. I, I just, I, I want to just fix things. So this, this has presented a problem right in my lap that I can't sit and be sad about it all the time. And I do, I mean, I still cry. I'm still a human. I still lost my brother. 
and my my son that just graduated was the first nephew. So him and my brother were always terribly close, oh, like wow. very close. So when when it was graduation and my brother had promised my son that they would get matching tattoos. So all the uncles in my family and my dad and my grandpa have this horrible sailor tattoo. Ah! My mother promised my son they would get after graduation. And my son was really in a funk about that. He, like it really hurt his feelings and he was going to do it to honor his uncle. And I mm -hmm. said, yeah, what the hell? I'll do it. What do I care? Panther is fine. I'll wear sleep. Well, you know, a panther, especially a black panther stands for a lot. I don't know if there are any other colors out there, but certainly I saw the tat. I know the listeners can't see the beautiful black panther. I like it for obvious reasons. I love, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but but really, um, so did he get a tattoo? Did your son get it? So me and him went together and that helped because I knew that, that that was causing some of his depression. We were getting close to the anniversary date of my brother passing and he had kind of lived the last four years of high school anticipating this tattoo. Oh. He didn't really care about graduating high school, but he cared about doing this cool thing with his uncle. Mm. And that was kind of weighing on him and you know, it, like you said, it should have been a really happy time, but he was just in a dark place and we tried to work through it. But, you know, in the end, he needed to go get medicine to be okay. And I'm proud of him for being able to do that. And I'm prouder of you for accepting because a lot of my, my patients, honestly, my problem is the parents. They just, they're just not, oh, I don't want, oh, my child is not going to be on the medication. You know, they just, they're stuck on that idea of, Medicine is BAD. Yes. Uh, so this is this is this is good. This is really really good. And so just moving on a little bit. It's been a year. Your brother's been dead, and um, obviously you're picking up the pieces. But you also mentioned you're a warrior of sorts. What is it that you're you're into now with the mental health? What is it that you do now? So when I learned that um, the families any family member affected by suicide, the, the rate of them following and committing also, that terrified me. My brother had two sons, um, seven and three, just tiny little boys. Mm. Um, and that, that lit a fire in me. No, they're going to be okay. Like whatever I have to do, whatever I have to learn, whatever, whatever advocacy I have to take up to make sure that these little boys are okay. That's, that's what I'm because I mean, it almost, I, I, I don't have the statistic, but I believe it like doubles them. Um, it doubles the, the chances of them committing. And I can't, I just can't live in a world where we're not doing something about that. So, um, so I've taken a course on um, suicide bereavement counseling to try to talk people through because it's so different to say, to, I, 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 I was a nurse for years. I worked uh, central staffing. So I worked all the different floors for years. And I, I sat in rooms with families when their mem family members would pass and the condolences that, that feel good to give to them when grandma died of old age, absolutely does not translate to the suicide family. grieving. Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not the same. It's, it's not, not the same. And kudos for to you for even like, well, obviously, I'm going to say, no, your brother's death was not good, but look at the good that's coming out of it. And so 
it's a great thing that you're doing because of all the suicide talk that I talk, I've never even really thought about that. The fact that suicide bereavement counseling is a thing and it's an important thing. My wife's brother died by suicide and she has the hardest thing, hardest time understanding how I can even talk about suicide. You know what I mean? Like it's hard for her still. Right. And I completely understand that. I haven't dealt with that personally. So I, I don't, I wouldn't say I know that, but I do understand how that can be a hard place to be. And, and I think for, for parents, especially any parent who loses their child to suicide, that has been the most heartbreaking part of my journey is being the living sibling that has to watch my parents just deteriorate because they cannot make it right in their head. Why didn't I do this? Why didn't I do that? You, could, you couldn't, you know what I mean? He was Your poor father, yeah. And you know, even besides the fact that it's suicide, which is the next level up, you know, it is said that the death of a child is the most devastating death period of all deaths. I don't care if you're identical Siamese twins. The death of an offspring and then when it's in this way, this form, this, this act, I know in my heart, the pain that your parents must be going through. Because as a mom, I can't even let myself think about it. When yeah, me neither. Me neither. It was just like, I just, a, a switch flip. I can't, I can't even imagine letting this get into a crisis. Like, I refuse to. I refuse to go there. I just, I told you, I just interviewed my eldest before, before you. And he was talking about how he was bullied and how there was one time when he was 11 or 12 when he, he actually thought about the fact that maybe he should just be gone. He didn't have to put it in any more words. I already said it like, oh my God, crying. You know, just the fact that I was in the house with him and I had no idea that he was yeah. going through that. But um, yes, and this is what, 20, he's 21 now, he was 11 then. So 10 years later, and I'm, I'm just still just like, oh my goodness, I wish I, you know, I could go back and fix that again yeah. you know i mean wow. we don't get a reverse button and as parents i think we just have to always be upstream nursing catch the problem before it's a crisis we just so let's call it up, upstream parenting yeah yes, exactly. that yeah we just have to get keep them we can't we can't save our children from everything and i'm not suggesting we live in a world where you know we're we're helicopter parenting but when we see something that's off we address it. And just because it triggers an uncomfortable feeling in me, like, oh God, is my kid really depressed? Like, I don't want to deal with that. But I, I am the mom. It's my job to put that aside and say, okay, well, if you were throwing up, I used to catch a puke and bowl. Hello. <laughs> Why am I now shy oh. about getting in your business? <laughs> and as a mother of three boys, I'm here to tell you that puke is, is, is putting in mild. You want me to tell you all the other things that I got shot with? Ah, like take the diaper, boom, it's in your face. I'm like, oh my God. Like these boys, but you have said something very, very important because I talk about intentional parenting, but I almost want to say it's synonymous with upstream parenting. The fact that you need to be there for your kid when they need you, period. That's it. There's no other way, faith form. Oh, my son. In my kids, I was like, my son is being bullied. Like he was being bullied and I would have never known if the bully hadn't reached across, taken his glasses and broke them. So I'm like, dude, uh, where are your glasses? Uh, what happened? What happened was what? Let's go to their house. You know, I was like, what do you mean? 
but I would have never known that he was right. being bullied. So I rolled up in there with Boniqua and Shaniqua. We, we, we went to the house. Let's talk about this. But, and, you know, yes, and he's eternally grateful for me to do that. But you think he wanted me to do it? No. He was like, Mom, no, no. I was like, no, 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 no. This is not up to you. It's up to me. We're yep. going. Yep. Because sometimes I'll look, I want to act a fool when my kid is concerned. It's okay. Yeah. In hindsight, I don't want to say, oh, well, I didn't, I, I wish, I wish, wish what? It's too late now. Yeah. Death of an offspring. Death of an offspring. That's what we're talking about. Yes. Wow. And I think that that's exactly right. Even if it makes him uncomfortable and it makes you feel like a lunatic, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. In the grand scheme of things, right? right. I'm keeping my son alive because if, if he has to go to school and be tormented by this kid every day, he's not going to feel very hopeful for his future. For exactly. Very exactly. Hopeful. Wow. And then, you know, just putting, bringing it all together. So now you've got a family and I don't know about your husband's side. I was going to ask, you've got your, your, your own side of the family, but there's always your husband's side and mental illness is so widespread that for all I know, your kids could have it from both sides of the family. Is your husband's side, do they, have, do they struggle with depression or mental illness at all or no? Yes. So my children's, their dad, um, I actually, my, my current husband and I actually had to go and get him to the ER to get him charcoaled one time because he was actively suicidal and tried to kill himself and decided to reach out to me of all people. I, I guess told you about my psychic tendencies. Yeah. I had, I felt the energy. I, saw, <laughs> I felt yeah. it, you know? Wow. But that's exactly yeah. right with regards to your sons, right? Right. So that's, that's my, my children's father. So I constantly, I, I'm on guard. You know, they get into teenage shenanigans, drinking, you know, they've experimented with some stupid things and, and we've been able to navigate those waters, but this kind of sad, dark place. I was like, we're not staying here. This is not, we're just, we're not doing this. So I'll give you, you a chance to get out of it. If you can't, we're, we're doing something different because he comes by it. Honestly, he really does. I wow. mean, I, I'm happy to admit that I've been on antidepressants for years. Me too. And his dad is also struggles with that. And so we're just not, I just can't wait for it to be a crisis. So it's a, a definitely a double whammy. So do you, I mean, did you or did your son or his father, any of you guys get counseling? Yes. So, oh, that takes us into a whole different story. My, my, my boy's dad actually went to prison for a few years. So he was missing when they were like 10 and eight for three years of their lives. So I did a lot of therapy with them in that period to try to help them be okay because again you're essentially grieving the loss of someone even though you know they're coming back yes if they're gone they're gone and that leaves a hole in your heart so they did a lot of therapy for that so my son was definitely not anti-therapy but you know i he, he just wasn't he just wasn't in a good enough place in his head that the things that the therapist wanted him to do to feel better, he could do. He just wasn't capable of doing those things. He was just too, too far gone. We had to get him the medicine to even Bring get him. Yes. yes. Otherwise, it's just another human being sitting in front of him telling him what to do. And he wow. already sitting in front of him telling him what to I do. Know that's right. So that is good. And, and I asked that question only because obviously I'm Black, I'm Nigerian, and I come from a country where 
the conversation about mental illness, first of all, is like non-existent. And then medication for what, you know? Oh, therapy? Oh, no, no, you've got to be kidding me, you know? So I, I always want to, I want people that have gone through it to talk about it more because I want my listeners to hear that it is okay. It's completely okay to get therapy if you need it, to get medication if you need it. And it's so vital to have the support that you need. A lot of children who end up hurting themselves in one way or the other lack that family support and it's so critical or even support of friends and teachers. And yesterday during my Facebook live about bullying and suicide, one of my people that was watching her son had mentioned there that sometimes the teachers, and I never thought about this, but sometimes the teachers actually, because one particular child always tells when things like bullying is going on, after a while, the teachers actually kind of turn off and, and shut off that and they stop caring. Oh, this kid is always telling like, really? How can this be happening? Yep. We have so many kids dying by suicide. Okay, school is about to start. School is started now. So we know the next thing you're going to start hearing bullying and then you start hearing suicide. So it usually goes up from September all up through May. And usually during the summer, you hardly hear about child suicides. Why? Because of the fact that bullying is such a big issue and such a big part of, of that in children. So, Horrible. wow. And I think back to the, where the teachers become desensitized to bullying, I, I feel like some of what we have in our, in our world is that we hear somebody reach out when they're suicidal and we think, oh, well, they've already said that they were suicidal three times. So I'm really sick of hearing about this. So I'm just going to roll my eyes at them when we can't, we can't just stop. We can't just stop listening. And you should be proud that they reached out to you three times. Yeah, and they're still I always talk about that because most times kids don't want to reach out to you at all. So be thankful if they select you as the one person they want to tell. Exactly. Because, oh, wow. Mm. And, and, you know, when we when someone is suicidal it becomes kind of a nuisance we're kind of like put off by it enough already but when someone dies by, by suicide it's a, it shakes up our whole world exactly. what happened the only thing that happened is we stopped intervening we stopped caring yeah. we wow. hardened our hearts towards the same struggle that they've been having that we've been trying to guide them through and so i think so it's really important yes i'm sorry go ahead yeah i, I think we're going to say the same thing go ahead yeah, I just think that the, the message there is that we have to, we have to just not stop caring. That's right. And if we feel burnt out, if we feel like I'm sick of hearing about this, it's our job to try to find somebody to take our place then. Okay, I can't. It's almost like when you're doing a CPR, right? If you get tired of, of the chest compressions, get a relief, but yes. don't stop. I love that. I love that. I was going to say the same thing. I was going to say the message is don't ever tire because you yeah. never know the next one might be the last one exactly and we're humans and we all are going through our own stuff and it's you're, you're not on call for the universe you're not here to fix everybody but if somebody trusts you and reaches out to you and says that they are actively in a dark place and you're not emotionally okay to do that it's your job to sit with them until you can find the next person to come in you can't just be like oh well sorry I'm hungover and really tired today. So call me later. Like that's you just call me in the morning. And then, and then of course the night comes and then morning doesn't come. Right. So, wow, Megan, you know, I, I can't thank you enough. I love the fact that you, you did not hesitate because you didn't know who I was. 
I reached out to you and you were like, yes, yeah, sure, I'll do it. And, and I want to say thank you on behalf of all the parents who have listened, all the siblings who have lost siblings, all the parents who have lost offspring out there. And also just for you, for your heart and for the work that you do. Big, big thank you for coming on and, and talking about it today. Where can the listeners find you? Um, I'm on Facebook all the time. So Facebook is a perfectly reasonable place to reach out to me. I'm a part of uh, several suicide bereavement groups on Facebook where communities, you know, I specifically a loss of a sibling suicide group um, where you can just communicate with other people that kind of know what you feel because grief is messy. And some days I'm angry and some days I'm really sad. And I need somebody that understands that I can both be angry and still miss him like exactly. crazy. Exactly, exactly. Emotions are so complex. I have a right to feel how I feel. Right. That's almost what I want to say. I have every right to feel how I feel. And, and maybe you don't necessarily agree with me, but that's fine too. You know, it's my own feelings to feel. I don't know what to say, you know. I should not be apologizing for the way I feel. It's right. my brother. It's me. You know, it's how I sleep at night. You don't know. So that is amazing. Do you have any favorite quotes, favorite book, favorite podcast, favorite thing that you do to stay grounded? Oh my gosh. I have really been, I've kind of filled my summer with reading suicide survival books. Um, so I'm just now, I'm just now getting out of that space. Um, I would say that my, my most important thing that I, if I could get anybody to go and click on one thing, it would be youth mental health first aid. And it talks, it's essentially teaching very basic CPR type interventions for people in a mental health crisis. So the same way you would take a first aid course, if you were going to go camping and you would learn how to tend to a snake bite, it doesn't make you a first responder. It doesn't make you a therapist but it gives you the tools to recognize a person in crisis and it helps you access um, ways to help them. when they're well, This is amazing because I've never even heard about that before. I mean, I just, I did not know that. So I need to get certified myself. I know I did the suicide crisis um, text line. I, I, I got certified as 30 hours. So I did that, but this is good. Youth it's mental amazing. health first aid. Uh-huh. And I just got certified to teach it as well. Um, wow, that's, that's amazing. That's what I've spent my summer doing is trying to get to the teachers in my community and teach them this certificate because then they'll be certified as a youth mental health provider and they just have new tools in their belt on how to watch for kids in crisis and how to try to help, you know. So early detection and also, of course, management, right? Do you have any words of encouragement for siblings who have lost siblings? Because that's specifically where that's your niche as far as being who you are, but of course, just any words of encouragement, period. I, I think, I mean, it's only been a year that I've lost my brother and it's been a messy year, but every day, every single day, I think about one thing that I genuinely loved about him because grief is messy. And I, I was angry a lot because it seemed like a really unfair thing that he did to his children. And so it was hard for me not to feel angry towards him, but I would force myself to think about something that I really, really loved about him. And, and that helps. That makes it feel better. It makes it feel okay that I'm angry 
or I'm okay. Yeah. So, so two things I'm getting. First of all, you have to allow yourself to do this, to feel this way. Right. But secondly, you also have to practice, which makes perfect practice every day, thinking about one thing that you love about the person and that will not allow the negative and that anger to stay because it's only been a year and you know, we don't know how much longer each one of us has. My kids believe that the world, the earth, as we know it is going to be destroyed in 13 years and then we only got 13 years to go. So I don't know where they got that idea from, but they're all three boys believe it. And this is like, this is what it's like, mom, mom, let's hurry up and do that now because we only got 13 years. I'm like, what? We're really going to pack a lot of stuff into 13 years, but I'm for it. I love yes, that. Yeah. So love they, they, they are talking about that. Um, so it looks like your advice is every day think about one thing that you love about the person. Yes? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And like you said, allow yourself to feel what you feel. Stay away from people that tell you to cheer up because that's not helpful advice. <laughs> yeah, I'm writing it down. Um, this is really, really good. Okay. So I, we've come to the end of the podcast. Can you believe that? I had so much fun talking with you, Megan. Thank you so much for having me. It's so awesome what you're doing and helping spread advocacy, like especially with children. It just I can't even, it breaks my heart every time I hear about a child committing suicide. I can't deal with it. I can't deal with it either. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you heard her. She came out here and she laid it all out. Miss Megan Roberts, a beautiful soul. Just a, just a wonderful person. You, you guys can't see her, but she's beautiful. She's got red hair and she just keeps flipping it and messing with it. Like she thinks she's coming out some kind of Charlie's angel or something, but okay, I digress. But Megan lost her brother to suicide a little over a year ago. And she shared with us the journey to, well, really before, the suicide and of course after and just what it takes to stay together and the fact that she herself is also at risk as she recognizes that she's at risk this is important and her children because they've had a father who's struggled with mental illness and, a, and an uncle who's succumbed to it and of course grandparents and just the whole world and so while we're walking today while we're talking while we're going about our business as usual just take one minute one minute to just just think about Megan and her family and what they're going through and just lift up, just lift them up. It is not easy. It can't be. I know she's been very strong and she's really not allowed herself to go there. Her face has not flushed for one second because she's gangster. But I do want you to just think about it and just lift them up and her family, her parents, her children. And just remember that this doesn't have to be your story. Indeed, you can honing on your siblings and honing on your children and try to be there for them. And that's, that's really all that you can be, right, Megan? I love that, yeah. I mean, if you can help one person, you've changed the world. That's right. If you can help one person, you've changed the world. And on that note, I'm not even going to add anything to it. This is Dr. Lulu, a.k.a. The Momatrician. This is Suicide Pages, the podcast, signing out.